0: Hey there, welcome to The tent. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. You know, I'm fascinated by the dietary preference of my fishes, you know, how they've evolved over eons to consume, you know, various food items found in their environment. How many fishes, you know, became specialists, an adaptation to the habitats in which they live, all that kind of stuff. And as an aquarist who derives you know, great pleasure from seeing his fishes sort of live off the land and consume foods from the aquarium environment in which they reside, I really find some of the underlying feeding strategies fascinating. One of the more interesting examples is the consumption, supposedly, of wood by various species of fishes. Now we read a lot about fishes which eat wood and wood-like materials. Of course the ones that come to mind immediately are the lauricaridae, specifically. Uh, panac species and uh, some of the other ones now I am admittedly the last guy who should be authoritatively discussing the care of catfishes having maintained maybe I don't know a couple dozen or so species during like a lifetime in the aquarium hobby however, I do understand a little bit about their diets and the idea of utilizing wood and botanical materials in the aquarium for the purpose of supplementing our fish's diet so, it was kind of fun to delve into some research to get to the bottom of all this stuff. And of course, I'm equally fascinated by the world of biofilms, decomposition, microorganism growth, and detritus. All that stuff plays right into it. Now, the idea of a xylophagy, which is the consumption and digestion of wood, is of course a pretty cool and interesting adaptation to the environment from which these fishes come from. <clears throat> Excuse me, And as you'd suspect, the way that wood is consumed and digested by these fishes is equally cool and kind of fascinating. Now, it's thought by ichthyologists that the scraping teeth and highly, you know, angled jaws of are perfect uh, are a perfect adaptation to this feeding habit of scraping wood. And of course, it's even argued among scientists that these fishes may or may not actually digest the wood they consume. While scientists have identified a symbiotic bacteria which is found in the gut of these fishes that helps break down wood components, it's been argued by some, that the fishes don't actually digest and metabolize the wood, indeed deriving very little energy from the wood they consume. Hmm, interesting. In fact, I want to read to you a paper in a lab study uh, by Donovan P. German. Um, they described uh, in, in the new November 2009 issue of Comparative Physiology, they described uh, an experiment in w- which several species were fed wood and actually found to digest it quite poorly. And I'm quoting from it. In laboratory feeding trials, uh, and I'm not even going to mention these species. I can't even pronounce this name. It's Paratoglyptes nigrolaniatus and hypostomus pyreneesui. Wow, I'm butchering that, but they're catfish. (laughs) These fishes lost weight when consuming wood and passed stained wood through their digestive tracts in less than four hours. Furthermore, no selective retention of small particles was observed in either species in any region of the gut. Collectively, these results corroborate digestive enzyme activity profiles and gastrointestinal fermentation levels in the fish's GI tracts, suggesting that the wood-eating catfishes are not true xylophores, such as beavers and termites, but rather are detritivores, like so many other fishes from the family loricaridae. Okay, did you hear that? Detritivores, like they're taking in the wood to get other stuff out of the deal. And detritus is comprised of stuff like macrophys, algae, and particulate organic carbon. Hmm. And this little nugget from the same study, uh, I quote, the fishes consume 2 to 5% of their body mass on a net weight basis in wood per day, but were not thriving on it, as P.T. nigrolineatus lost 1.8 to 0.15% of their body mass over the course of the experiment. And another species lost 8.4 to uh, to 0.81% of their body mass. Okay, that's weird, right? Yet anatomical studies of these fishes showed that the so called wood eating catfishes had what uh, physiologists refer to as body size corrected intestinal lengths that were 35% shorter than the detritivore species. So what does this mean? Could they have perhaps had at one time and subsequently lost their ability to digest wood? Well, maybe. Hmm, interesting. And to make it even weirder, check out this passage from a study by Lujan, Weinmiller, and our Brewster that I found. Loricariids have a dense endoskeleton and are covered with dermal plates composed primarily of calcium phosphate, giving them a high physiological demand for dietary phosphorus. Paradoxically, the rivers and streams inhabited by Loricariids as well as the detritus and biofilm that most Loricariids consume, tend to be highly phosphorus deficient. The same study noted that, lauricarides as a whole are largely unable to digest lignocellulose and instead derive most nutrients and energy from easily digestible breakdown products, i.e. disaccharides and dipeptides, that are produced during microbial degradation of submerged decomposing wood. Interesting, right? So I think it's yet another case of us as hobbyists who have drawn that innocent conclusion based on anecdotal or superficial observations. I mean... They're munching on my wood, therefore they must be eating it. When the reality is, they're not really eating it. Now, to the point of the argument that most loricarids are primarily detritivores, consuming a matrix of biofilm, algal growth, and mac- microorganisms, and for want of a better word, dirt. What does this mean to us as hobbyists? Well, for one thing, uh, this has made them remarkably adaptable fishes in the aquarium. They'll definitely rasp at wood, but according to the studies I just cited, they're not eating it per se. Now, my personal experience with loricarid is nothing like many of yours, and. An observation I've made over the years is at best anecdotal, but it's interesting. So if you follow the tint, you know I've had a years-long love affair with Peclotia compta, a.k.a. the L134 leopard frog. It's a beautiful little fish that's filled with charms, fun fun little fish. Um, well, I, I recall a few years back that my first specimen seemed to have vanished into the ether following a sort of reconfiguration or rescape of my, one of my home Blackwater Botanical Method aquariums. I thought somehow I either lost the fish during the rescape or it died and subsequently decayed without my detecting it. Pretty upsetting either way, but I couldn't find any trace of this thing at all for for almost three months. Fish was just MIA, just gone. And then one day, there she was, poking out from the spiderwood thicket that formed the basis of my new hardscape. To say I was overjoyed was a bit of an understatement, of course, but After her reappearance, she was out pretty much almost every day. She looked just as fat and happy as when I saw her in the other scape, which begs the question, besides my curiosity about how she evaded detection, the question, what the fuck was she eating during this time? Well, I suppose it's possible that some bits of frozen food I fed frozen almost exclusively during that time, some bits of frozen food got away from my population of hungry kerosens and fell to the bottom. Now I am pretty fastidious, and the other fishes were voracious midwater column feeders. But you know, to think that any appreciable amount got away from the hungry horde was a bit hopeful. I believed at the time, and now I am fully convinced that it was more likely the biofilms, the fungal growth, and perhaps some of the compounds from the surface tissues of the spiderwood I used in the hardscape that she was feeding on. Spiderwood, also known as azalea root does recruit significant biological growth on its surfaces when you're submerged. Anybody who's cured this stuff can tell you that. And curiously, in this tank, I noticed that during the first few months, the woods seemed to never accumulate as much of the stuff as I'd seen it do in past tanks, in which I incorporated it. I attributed this to perhaps some feeding the, by the population of Nanostoma sequus, the uh, tail pencil fish, which I've, shown, I've seen repeatedly in the past feeding on biofilm or whatever it is that accumulates on the wood. I'm sure that was a valid observation, but they were actively taking prepared foods as the bulk of their diet, so I have a hard time believing that they were solely responsible for this. There was also a layer of live oak leaves distributed throughout the, you know, the wood matrix, which, although they break down very slowly compared to the other leaves we use, they do ultimately soften over time and break down over time. Since they're rather durable, they accumulate a lot of fungal growth and biofilms on their surfaces. Interestingly, in this tank, I was feeding, you know, finding tiny little amounts of very broken down leaves, which I attributed to decomposition. But thinking back on it, it looks more like the end product of a digestion by somebody. So I don't think I ever saw my L134 consuming prepared food. In fact, when I did observe her activities, she was seemingly grazing, and I use that in air quotes, grazing away at the wood surfaces and on the botanicals. Well, that's all the proof that I needed to confirm my theory that she pretty much is 100% detritiv- you know, uh, detritivorous, or detritivorous. Why am I having that problem tonight anyway? Uh, and the Botanical Method Aquariums that she's resided in provided a sufficient amount of food or material for her to consume and process. In fact, to this day, I've never seen her or any of my lower cards eat prepared foods I've since acquired three captive bred specimens from my friend, master breeder, Sumer Tawari, who we've had a guest on this very podcast before. And this group has seemed to take prepared food on occasion. At the very least, though, adding some pellets or frozen food seems to uh, initiate some kind of response in the fish. Whether or not they appear to eat it is you know, hard to say. So anyway, back to this whole xylophore thing. After reading the studies that I mentioned, I think that in the aquarium, as well as in the wild, much of what we think is actually consumption of the wood, you know, by the fishes, is simply incidental, as in the fishes are trying to eat the bio-cover and the detritus on the surface tissues of the wood, and perhaps obtain some nutrition from the compounds contained in the softer portions of the wood. They apparently do a pretty good job with their specialized mouse parts of rasping away the surface tissues of the wood. So yeah, apparently, some of the wood may pass through the digestive tract of the catfishes, but it's passed without metabolizing much from it. Perhaps like the way chickens consume gravel or whatever. I mean, don't they? I'm a city boy. What, what do I know about chickens? But, or, or the way maybe some marine you know, angel angelfishes nibble on corals in their pursuit of algae, algae detritus and you know, biofilms. Now again, my perusal of German scientific paper seems to support this kind of theory. And I quote, catfishes supplement their wood diet with protein-rich detritus or even some animal material to meet their nitrogen requirements. Although I did not observe animal material in the wood-eating catfish guts, uh, and again, the species I can't pronounce, blah, 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 (laughs) did consume some animal material, including insect parts, mollusks, and worms, and all three species consumed detritus. And finally, the clincher, in my humble opinion, and I quote again, the low wood fiber assimilation efficiencies in the catfishes are highly indicative that they cannot subsist on a wood-only diet. Boom, that's it. I mean, it's just one paper. But when he's talking about isotopic tracing of materials not consistent with digestion of wood in the guts of loricarids, I think that pretty much puts the eat wood thing to bed, right? Well, maybe. But he further mentions that although some cellulose and lignin, a, com- you know, a component of wood and botanicals, was detected in the fish's fecal material, it was likely an artifact of the analysis method as opposed to proof that the fishes has derived significant nutrition from it. So what does all this stuff mean to us? Well, for one thing, once again, detritus biofilm fungal growth equals good. Don't loathe them, love them. Your fishes apparently do. I think that it means that as hobbyists probably know and theorized and discussed for a long time, That the lower cards consumed detritus, biofilms, and prepared foods when available. This is not exactly earth-shattering or new. I get it. However, I think that understanding that our botanical method aquariums can and do provide a large amount of materials from which these and other fishes can derive significant nutrition furthers my assertion that this type of system is perfect for rearing and maintaining a lot of specialized feeders. Materials like the harder-shelled botanicals, you know, like. uh, I'm thinking like sky fruit pods, or car- cariniana pods, mocha pods, bark, etc. Those tend to recruit significant fungal growth and biofilms and accumulate detritus in and on their surfaces. And of course, as they soften, some fishes apparently rasp and some, consume you know, some of them directly, likely passing most of it through their digestive systems, as we just talked about, extracting whatever nutrition is available to them as a result. And this is likely the case with leaves and softer botanicals as well incidental consumption, I guess you'd say. The softer materials might also be directly consumed by many fishes, although the nutrition may or may not be significant. However, the detritus, the fungal, and the microorganism growth as a result of their decomposition is a significant source of nutrition for many fishes and shrimps. Detritivores, of which the amount of species in the the aquarium trade is legion, (laughs) have always done really well in botanical method aquariums. And the accumulation of biofilms and microbial growth is something that we've discussed for a long time. By their very nature, the structure and decomposition of botanical materials make the functional aesthetics of our aquariums an important way to accommodate the natural feeding behaviors of our fishes. So the answer to the question, literally, is who has the guts for this stuff, literally, is quite possibly everyone. Now, while we're on the subject of lauracarides, a further sort of scan of scientific literature revealed some interesting things about what these fishes are actually taking in when they graze in the wild. It's kind of eye-opening, actually, to me. One study revealed that lauracarides consumed five principal items, sponges, organic detritus, bryophytes, bryozoans, and sediment. Now, wood is definitely part of the equation somewhere, but for the species examined in one of the studies I found... uh, the gut content analysis was quite revealing. And I'll, again, I'll quote, the food spectrum of R, and I don't know the genus, I apologize, R. aspera is primarily organic detritus and small quantities of sediment with a few paraphytic organisms. Although H. reagani was found to consume large quantities of organic detritus as well, it also consumed plant detritus, various sediment and paraphytic organisms, i.e. bryozoans, sponges, and aquatic insect larvae. I'm like, bryozoans and and sponges, huh? Whoa, freshwater sponges, that's right. The study indicated that, you know, bryozoans and organic detritus were the main food of this hypostomus ternetsi, which according to the gut content analysis of a number of individuals tended to consume more sediment, rotifers, and chironomids, you know, bloodworms, gastropods, and harpactoids than many other species. And I'm like, oh, harpactoids. You mean like copepods, stuff that we as reefers feed all the time. In fact, one species was planned to, found to ingest plant material. Other paraphytic organisms like insect larvae and those bryozoans and sponges contributed to the diet of still another. And it gets more interesting still. I mean, sponges, I, I just can't let this go. Now, sponges were the principal food resource of Hypostomus microstomus and one other species along with a healthy dose of chironomids, various gastropods, insects, and some bryozoans and stuff like that. The diets of these two fishes were comprised of larger-sized items, with the finer organic detritus and stuff being less important than it was to the other species in the study. The kind of information, though, that I see there is really tantalizing. It's compelling. What really gets me going is that some of our favorite, most beloved fishes are consuming large quantities of materials that I doubt any freshwater aquarist adds to his or her arsenal of foodstuffs. We're really good at feeding our catfishes, you know, baby vegetables and stuff, while typically overlooking many species' surprisingly high dietary dependency on items like insects, bryzoans, harpactoid copepods, and again, sponges. While, you know, we always kind of knew that these fishes ingested wood and stuff, it's interesting to see what they're actually eating in the wild, especially the stuff, and configuring our aquariums and the supplemental and primary feeding opportunities available to these fishes accordingly we have some interesting yet perhaps overlooked possibilities to provide some of these items. In fact, there's a number of marine aquarium-purpose foods typically targeted at certain marine angelfishes, uh, many which consume you know significant quantities of sponge, which contain sponges in their formulation. One of my favorite is Ocean Nutrition's Angel Formula. Now, it's a good frozen food. Now, granted, these foods contain stuff like mussels and other marine foods, and the sponges included are marine sponges, but I can't help wonder if the these are that morphologically or nutritionally different or palatable to the fishes than freshwater, you know, tree sponges would be. I don't know that answer. But I do have the quite begs the question, you know, could the next great frozen loricarid food in- include sponges? And we do have harpactoid copepods available live and in a variety of other formats again intended for marine fishes and corals. Interestingly, I remember that the big knock by us reefers for a long time about some of these copepods was that they were, you know, freshwater varieties and therefore didn't have the correct nutritional profile for marine organisms. Hmm, we're talking about freshwater fishes here though, right? Yeah. So, like, why the hell haven't we been feeding these fishes to our freshwater, you know, these foods to our freshwater fishes for all these years? Try some of these foods with your carids and other fishes as well. What? What's to lose, right? I can hear the objections. Impractical. Is it? I mean, online ordering is really cool. It might just catch on, right? Oh, it's too much work. Really? Come on. Ever-cultured worms or wingless fruit flies? That is too much work by, like, definition. Of course, there's, you know, this is ridiculous. No need to experiment with this stuff. We're doing just fine with zucchini and stuff. It's stupid. <sighs> if man was meant to fly, he'd have wings, right? To not experiment is stupid, in my opinion. Don't be stupid. And I mean that in the kindest way possible. Don't just accept what works as the way. Push forward. Experiment. Read some scientific papers. Try some new stuff. Fail quickly or move forward rapidly with success. Play a hunch or two. Try something different. This is how advances in the hobby are made. This is how breakthroughs happen. You gotta try. Stay studious. Stay curious. Stay observant. Stay engaged. Stay resourceful. And always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Fellman from Tannin Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me and I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of the 10th.